Welcome to yet another exciting episode of the Development Health Podcast. Welcome to episode 92. Only eight more episodes till we do a big blowout uh, episode 100 and decide if we want to keep doing it. Uh, maybe if the maybe if the Patreon money gets really really good, I, we can keep doing it. Oh yeah. Uh, so how's it going, Ed? I'm very tired today. I've had a long day, but you know it's okay. Yeah, you've had like a long you've had like a long month since you uh, went uh, freelance, basically. Well, oh, well, freelancing yeah. on uh, on OSMI and then trying to pick up the shattered pieces of your programming career. Uh, yeah, alongside it. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, a lot of the consulting stuff has has been there's just been a lot of moving parts in my life lately, and that's been maybe not the greatest. Uh, I would like fewer moving parts. But it is as it is what it is. So that's where I am right now. Hey, excuse me while I yawn. Mm. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, I, uh, I'm going to record this and go to bed. <laughs> so pretty much the same as all the other times you've done it. And yeah, exactly. uh, for me, things are going okay. I just, uh, for those who uh, follow along all my oversharing online, uh you saw how about a week ago I wiped out and fell down the stairs in my house early in the morning when I went downstairs to feed uh, feed the cat, um, and I thought I had broken my foot. And so uh, after a couple of days when the foot started to swell up pretty good, uh, knowing that this injury would not bankrupt me, I went to uh, the local uh, walk-in clinic and got them to look at my foot. And the person, the doctor there was like, well, either it's gout um, which I've had a gout attack before in the past, or it's broken. And the doctor looked at the foot, and she was like, yeah, I think you probably need to go get an x-ray to get that looked at. So I went to the local hospital. Luckily, didn't have to wait very long. It was only there about two hours from start to finish, which is mm. pretty good. Um, got my foot x-rayed. The doctor there was like, yes, it's gout. Let's talk about your diet. Let's talk about what you've been doing. I explained to him I had been doing the... Uh, low carb uh, high fat diet he's like oh okay that kind of makes sense with your symptoms you know when you when you go from eating medium to high level of carbs and then drop down to a, a very low level of carb in my case it's between like 30 and 40 grams of carbs a day um, your body produces way too much uric acid and that leads to crystals forming and then when I wiped it on the stairs the injury caused the crystals that were already present in my foot but not causing me a hard time to break apart and enter the joints. So um, so that's why my foot was so swollen. Like, no word of a lie, Ed, I would touch my foot and would feel like it was burning, like really, really hot, like swollen and really high temperature. So seems for, bad. Describe, yeah, well, I thought I thought for sure I'd broken my foot like in multiple places or something. I was like, great, I have to like get my foot operated on just before I have to go, uh, before I have to pack everything up and, and move. And uh, so he prescribed me anti-inflammatories and said, hey, you know, try and keep your foot elevated, walk around as little as possible, and you know this should clear up in a little bit. So I go back home. Everything's okay. I work from home. I had to cancel my trip to San Francisco for the Mozilla all hands that's going on this week because there's no way I could do all the walking that was involved. Right. Walk through the airport and then walk around at the hotel and at the and at the conference uh, venue that we had to go to. Um, and so then today I get a phone call from the walk-in clinic that I went to and they said, yeah, your x-rays came in here and the, uh, and the doctor who saw you wants to go over. The uh, doctor wants to go over the x-rays. I'm like, okay. So I go back and uh, it was a different doctor mm -hmm. at the clinic. 
and said, yeah, well, yeah, you, the gout diagnosis is fine, but you actually have a hairline fracture, um, a non-displaced one, on name some part of the foot. And basically it's right near where the toe connects to the rest of my foot. So, so he's like, I don't think it's a big problem, but you're a pretty physically large guy and I'm worried about you flexing that toe too much and, and actually fracturing it. And if you fracture it bad enough, we'll have to operate and put pins and stuff inside your toe. And that won't, Mm -hmm. that won't be, won't be any good. Um, so you need to get a, an air cast. So it's basically a, a boot that you put a protective boot you put on and you have to mm-hmm. pump it up uh, to make it nice and firm it's like to keep my foot stable and more importantly make sure that my toes my toe big toe doesn't move and it doesn't flex and that I fracture it so yeah so I have a I have a cast on my foot and uh, I have no idea how long it's supposed to be on I'm supposed to be getting uh, an appointment um, back at the local hospital that has a a clinic where people go to who've broken things where they just take a look and go over everything and, and give you a rough estimate of of like how long you're gonna need the cast on. So the foot doesn't hurt, which is the good thing. Swelling's all gone, tiny bit of pain, but the doctor was just concerned about uh concerned about uh the fracture me me uh, messing up my foot more than it already is messed up. So, so it's kind of a bummer. What I've gotten from this is that your foot is filled with pee. First off, yes, P crystallized P. Yes, okay, okay, uh, so I understand uh, that. Yeah, and you got an air cast, which I assume you made from like packing pillows uh, (laughs) from Amazon orders. That (laughs) Uh, that that would actually be cool if it was really that way, but instead it's kind of a. I mean, I I mean, I lifted it up. People don't know this, but. Ed and I are like on camera this time, so okay. uh, yeah, I showed it to him, and it's kind of like a future. It almost looks like a ski boot, but uh, it, yeah, it's it looks actually like quite some moon boots or something that I would yeah. had like in second grade. Yeah, so it's 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 quite comfortable, um, and like I said, I just gotta I just gotta wear. It. Don't have to sleep with it on or anything because that would kind of uh, kill the mood with the wife. So uh, you know. <laughs> what do you find? You find this boot gets the way of your sexual agenda? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's like you know. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not one for pity fucks, so I want to make sure this boot uh, stays uh, off to the side. And that's why we have an M rating, friends. That's, that's right. That's right. Mature the, audiences the, the, only. The, the bad words can come in any time. All right, Ed. Why don't you uh, go through the sponsor read, and then we can get on with the meat of the show. All right. I'm, this is going to be a low effort kind of thing, just to make it clear. Uh, you got your grumpy learning. This is where. Chris does his stuff. I, for some reason, I almost called you Charles. Maybe it was from churches. Maybe my head messed that up. This is where Charles uh, does his uh, test-driven development stuff for learning about it. And he's got a new book called Building Test-Driven Developers. And I'm just going to read this fine copy. Long-time PHP testing advocate Chris Harches, or also known as Charles, Takes a look at one of the least understood parts of testing computer software, managing the expectations of people. In it, he suggests yelling loudly in their face in person when he encounters them, uh, and they suggest that they do something differently than he wants to. In this book, Chris draws on his experience of over a decade of helping developers build the skills needed to become good at testing, and talks about how tests are written by people, not machines people that he yells at his views on what to do when they are, there are no tests, but you want some 
or what to do with a test suite nobody likes will challenge your thoughts on what testing is really about. You know what I was thinking today was that I need my thoughts challenged. And I think that I'll get this book in order to challenge those thoughts. And that's exciting. Is that, there's some, oh, is there a, what kind of cat is that on the cover? It looks, it looks like some kind of computer cat. That's, that's our, our latest cat. That's Lily, the uh, tortoise shell cat. It looks like it's in the way of the elephant. Uh, from... well, the, she's busy intimidating the elephant into testing things correctly. Okay, that's fair. I can understand that. All right, that's I can see that. How high can I push this up? How much can I pay you for this? Twenty dollars. You can pay up to twenty dollars for this book. You must pay at least nine dollars for this book, uh, and it looks pretty solid. So, I mean, I'm not going to pay for it. I'm going to make Chris give me a free copy. But it, you know, seems like a pretty good book. And don't forget about the other cool books he's still got. Uh, I forgot the names of them. Uh, minimum viable tests. And the Grumpy Programmer's PHP Unit Cookbook. Hey, where's your hack book, Chris? Uh, the hack book has been removed because it's no longer required because HHVM forced PHP core developers to incorporate a bunch of features that PHP developers actually wanted in the language. Oh, yeah. So hack worked. And now it's it did. served its purpose and can go die. Well, Facebook is still using it, but but in terms of like people outside of Facebook using it, there's not a not a lot of reasons to use it anymore. No, I would I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Again, again, let's let's be clear. This is this is opinion, not uh, not fact. But much of much of what Hack uh, and HHVM offered people um, got put into uh, PHP seven. So it's all good. And also, as a little sneak preview for people, I have started working on a book version of my time management for grumpy programmers talk so i'm hoping to get that done sometime before christmas if you manage your time correctly <laughs> correct <laughs> yes the, the jokes about time management write themselves <laughs> all right speaking of failures why don't you tell us about uh, osmi Open Sourcing Mental Illness is a nonprofit 501c3 corporation dedicated to raising awareness, educating, and providing resources to support mental wellness in the tech and open source communities. Hey, I've heard of that. Isn't that what Ed Finkler does? Why, yes, it is. And he still needs to find other kinds of work to fill in the gaps because there's no way it's ever going to pay him enough money to feed his family. Well, Anyway, uh, I still do that thing. Uh, it's good. If you want, there's a Patreon. Check it out if you want. OSMIHelp.org. So, yeah, I talk about mental health stuff all the time. You've heard this before. You know what I do. Please help out, won't you? Or tell people. We raised uh, $50,000 in our fundraising campaign, and uh, we sent out a bunch of stickers and hoodies, and I had to buy more hoodies and shirts because we ran out of the sizes that normal humans wear. Uh, so I had to buy more of those. So if you're still waiting on a shirt or a hoodie, first off, make sure that you got the email from us that told you, that said where you're supposed to go to tell us what size you want. And then secondly, if you've done that, hold your horses. 
So uh, that's what we got going on. And there's a bunch of Osmi stuff going on and behind the scenes, but I've got a busy week this week, so I'll tell you about it some other week. So uh, those are the two sponsors we've got. And then I've got this read from our Patreons, our Patreon patrons uh, from Chance Garcia. And he wanted me to read a little bit more about multiple sclerosis. Uh, which uh, Chris is just, he's just kind of kicking back. You know, he's just relaxed right now while I'm reading about MS. So uh, multiple sclerosis or MS is an unpredictable, often disabling disease of the central nervous system that disrupts the flow of information within the brain and between the brain and body. The cause of MS is still unknown. Uh, if you want to go to the National MS Society, which is nationalmssociety.org, uh, common symptoms are fatigue, walking difficulties, numbness or tingling, vision problems, bladder or bowel problems, uh, depression or emotional changes. And all those things can be symptoms. Uh, Chris, uh, my, uh, extremities were tingling, uh, the other, uh, day and I just decided that I had multiple sclerosis. Um, and, uh, that, I was a little worried for a bit. I, I, it stopped. I think I don't, but you know, if that happens a lot, maybe, uh, you go get it checked out by a doctor or something like that, especially if you get fatigued and you know, other kinds of things like that. I don't really know. I'm basically diagnosing myself like with WebMD, but most multiple sclerosis is a real serious thing. I've had family members myself who've dealt with it. Uh, and it's, uh, serious stuff. So, a uh, good thing to read up is nationalmssociety.org. And that's what we got this week. All right. So this time out, the main thing we wanted to talk about. I saw uh, you laughing. I saw you laughing during uh, our sponsor reads. Well, it's it's gallows humor uh, more than anything. Oh, yeah. No, it absolutely uh, is. Yeah. Especially calling me Charles. Uh, you are not the first person. I've had emails from people uh, calling me Charles. Charles, I want to see Charles. how you're doing. And usually I just delete those. I just mark them as spam and delete them. I think um, that your, yours is the uh, uh, Spanish spelling. Charges. 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 <laughs> Spanish Charles Charrier. Uh Yeah, you're not the first person. Sorry about that. So this time around, I thought we'd have an interesting topic based on uh, the latest uh, the latest skirmish in the never-ending PHP framework wars, uh, where where somebody said something and uh, another group interpreted that as uh, a personal attack, and off it all went with resulting in someone. Uh, initially deleting their Twitter account and then reinstating it for archival purposes, and then a blog post about their position, and then one of the people in the aggrieved party uh, posted did a blog post explaining their position. But rather than rehash all that because that is boring as fuck, instead I want to talk about a topic I think a lot of people would, would benefit from hearing about. Uh, basically, what to do when you become internet famous. So I know I joke about being uh, B level or C level. Um, internet celebrity when I'm really um, nothing of the sort. I'm actually a AAA celebrity. But uh, that that aside, that aside, I wanted to kind of talk about because Ed and I both have this thing where within our specific little programming community, we are um, high profile people. And once you go from being obscure to being 
um, you know, famous within a group for whatever reason. In this case, in, in my case, it's because of all the testing advocacy and, and stuff like that that I do. And in Ed's case, it's because of the OSMI stuff plus programming stuff from before. Um, but once the, the thing people need to understand is that once you attract a sizable audience, um, you have to decide on, on what you want the, pu- the public face your public face to everyone's going to be. I've talked about this in the past, where the grumpy programmer Twitter account for a long, long time was uh, not 100% who I really was. It was very much over the top, very aggressive, very jokey, very confrontational. Um, and then at some point when when, when I thought that my uh, the amount of people who started following me and people who were talking to me, I decided I needed to change that approach because it wasn't sustainable it was it was creating uh an image that was kind of counter to the things i was really trying to do at one point yeah it was a lot of fun to troll people and be super aggressive and pretend to be this grumpy programmer who's always arguing with their co-workers and 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 yelling at people to write tests and funny pictures of me appearing in people's slides of that great picture that rob allen took of me way back when at php benelux of me pointing towards the um, the screen and it was fun for a while being that character and then at some point I was like okay I don't want to be that character anymore so I've changed right it, I mean if you have been paying attention to how I talk on Twitter it's not so confrontational it's helpful I reach out to people I retweet uh you know, when people are, are posting job listings, I retweet things. When people are looking for help, I retweet things. I try to interact with people now who want uh, who want help because I came to realize the th- people are watching what I'm saying and watching what I'm doing, and they don't always understand because it's not always easy when you're joking or when you're serious about something. And furthermore, when you become someone internet famous, there becomes this problem where you have to decide how you want to handle um, criticism. And you can handle it one of two ways. You can either be, I think you can either be super aggressive towards anyone that says anything to you, and that will result in a non-ending, uh, non-ending uh, cycle of drama surrounding you, right? Or you can just ignore what people are saying to you. You can just say, I'm, only, I'm going to concentrate on talking to the people who are supportive of what I do. And those who aren't supportive, I'm not going to bother interacting with them. And I think this is, uh, I think this has become uh, a problem for many people. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm 100% perfect at this not taking offense at things that are said to me. I am much, much better than I used to be. I would say I'm like 99% better than I used to be. Once in a while, I feel a little tweaked and aggrieved. But instead of yelling at people or insulting them, I just – I've – I've decided I'm just not going to do that. There's no point. It's not productive. It doesn't help further the things that I want. So if you find yourself, it's the thing you have to, and I don't think it's the thing that comes with experience either as a programmer. Just because I've been doing this for almost 20 years does not mean I'm somehow better at it than people with way less actual programming experience. It's a personal thing. You have to decide, do I want to constantly argue with people who don't like what I'm doing? And 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 am I going to be able to figure out how to separate the, come to terms with the idea that they're criticizing the idea. They're not. They're not criticizing me. And it's this problem where there are far too many people who take 
who feel the attack on the idea is the attack on the person. And if you're going to be that way, you're going to be forever unhappy. And we see the same thing happening over over and over and over again. Um, And, you know, despite the protests of some people that it's really only a small group of people who are engaging in this behavior, it is a much larger group participating than people realize because people are watching this and they're reading the comments and they're seeing how these people who are high profile are talking to each other and how they are handling handling things when it gets out of control. How how are they people handling criticism? How are they handling um, adversity? How are they handling even when people uh, like what they're doing? And I just, uh, like I said, I have no intention of naming specific names because it's not productive at all. But there's a simple idea that when you become, in air quotes, internet famous, when you have a large enough number of people who are following what you do, you need to understand people are watching what you're doing and they're deciding on how to act based on how you are acting. It's, it's you know, I remember that uh, there's a quote from uh, Bill Gates that says, there are lots of people that want to be like Steve Jobs. And so many people have the asshole part of Steve Jobs down pat, but there are so few people that have the genius part of Steve Jobs down pat. Especially on, on social media, it's even though it's not it's sort of like pseudo anonymous, a lot of people project their own actual names out there, and some people hide behind um, Twitter uh, handles and avatars, and you have no idea who these people really are. But people on this form, on in this type of you know uh, platform, are are super quick to fire stuff out at people and call them names and criticize them instead of saying it's not you that I dislike, it's this idea that I dislike. And it's so easy to snap these things out. And I and I do believe that many people would not say these things to other people if they were actually there with them in the same room uh, or working on the same team with them. And this ability to quickly fire stuff something off and then, uh, you know, and then you can just kind of disappear and not be forced to deal with the, the blowback from saying the things that you've said. Or you can just choose to continue to be aggressive and not apologize for any of your behavior and fail to understand that, you know, fail to understand that if you're constantly surrounded by drama, you have to accept some responsibility for it as well. It's just th- this inability to, to, to recognize um, the things you're saying and how you're saying them and how they actually impact people. Um, uh, it, it's There are a lot of people who need to come to grips with this idea that that it, it seems very it seems very weird for for some people to say how can you say x in front of a large group of people when it's like well you have an even larger group of people who are watching what you're saying in return so it's not like it, 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 when when internet pseudo celebrities start arguing they all have a very big audience and, and people are watching and you know uh, I watch people's responses to it and you get all the inevitable things about why can't we all just get along and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yeah, because just, just, because people just aren't wired that way. People are choosing. And the, for the most part, people are choosing to react a certain way. Social media makes it very easy to snap off those quick, those quick angry um, responses to things. So, right. you, know, uh, you know, both of us have gone through this where we've, where we've done and said things that um, afterwards we regret saying. And I've always tried to go and apologize to the person when when it's become clear to me that it's been wrong, I would reach out and say, hey, you know what? I handled this in a terrible way. And and um, I, I can't take back what I said, but I want to say that this was wrong. And I, I don't want to be that way anymore. And I know some people who are listening are going to think that I'm being hypocritical 
um, about this. Because, yeah, I have said some stupid things in the past, but all I can do is change how I act going forward. What I did in the past doesn't really matter. It, it matters what you do going forward. The same sort of arguments I've had with other people about, about uh, aggressive behavior and deliberately saying things to provoke people. It's like all you can do is control what you're doing now. You can apologize about what you've done in the past if you've done something hurtful towards others. But, you know, you can't go back and change what's happened. But you need to start recognizing when a, when people start paying attention to what you're doing and more important, this idea where they call you a hero or they look up to you, there's going to be people who are not going to read the nuance and they're not going to understand the interpersonal relationships that exist between people who are arguing and bickering about something. So they're just going to see the output and they don't know all the backstory. They're going to mm-hmm. learn the wrong lesson. They're going to learn the wrong lessons from the argument where the argument should, where the argument quickly go where the the takeaway from the argument is supposed to be person X expressed their dissatisfaction with something in a way that was wrong, not that uh, the technology that person next is talking about is horrible. And that just it instantly seems to flip towards if you say something mean about something I've done, you're saying something mean about me. And, you know, it's, it, it, it's a really hard thing. And But I've, I've yeah. personally tried to go move and just say, like, I, I'm watching what I say online because I'm allowed to think whatever I want. But I'm trying to take 100% ownership of the things that I say and not do mealy-mouthed and non-apology apologies when stuff happens. Yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, I've seen the same things happen over and over. And, and I'll not only freely admit, but I mean, it, it, it's, I, I've had a, I have a problem with criticism more than I think a lot of other people do that. I take it, uh, really personally. And I, it's something that I've struggled with that sort of, you know, taking that, taking those things personally. I went through that a lot with, you know, I did a whole post, uh, called it's so easy to be a dick a couple of years ago on, uh, on my blog. And it went back to like, you know, 2007, 2008, when I was working on spaz, the Twitter client and people would just be like, Spaz sucks. Like that would be the entirety of the content of their post on Twitter. Like what, what am I supposed to do with that? And that was really, it was deeply frustrating and annoying. Um, but there's a couple things out of that. The first thing is that we have to take some responsibility for the things that we, that we say. And, if we know that there's going to be a tendency for people to take criticism of their work personally, um, I, we need to work on our language to avoid misinterpretation. And I think that is something that is the responsibility of the communicator and also is of the interest of the communicator, the one speaking, because you want to avoid being misunderstood as much as possible. If you, if, if, if you're actually want to be, if you want to reach your end goals of, uh, you know, having people understand you and accomplishing, you know, what, what you're setting out to do, it's in your best interest to try to be understood. Right. Um, and so that, uh, you know, that's certainly a big aspect of it. So, you know, it's like the difference between saying that is not how I would do that. And I would do that a different way. And that's fucking stupid. 
right? Um, and I've heard a lot of very smart, very intelligent people say things like, that's awful, that's garbage, that's fucking stupid. Instead of saying, that's not, I think that that's a problematic way of doing it, or I think that there's, and 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 it doesn't, I don't think it particularly helps anybody to use uh, overly dramatic language. And uh, I think the only thing that it may do is it may make you feel better. You might get excited about it, get a little high for being able to kind of stick it to somebody or stick it to something. And it can be kind of exciting to write uh, clickbaity, uh, you know, Twitter statements like that. But it's, I think, kind of shitty. I like I think it's not that cool. Uh, I think it's a, a poor choice of words and more likely to lead to you not getting what you want to have happen because I think it's going to lead to confusion. The other aspect of it is that it is inevitable that if you put anything out in the world at all whatsoever, um, you're going to get criticism for it. And sometimes that criticism is going to be worded not the best way. It's going to the people are going to say stuff like your thing sucks or what you're doing is a bad idea or it's dangerous or the da, 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 da. knowing that there's a couple things I'd say. First off, I think that if you choose to be a part of a uh, if you choose to participate in the culture, you have to have some understanding that that's going to happen and you have to prepare yourself somewhat for that. And I'm not excusing it, but what I'm saying is you are probably going to be a happier, healthier person if you figure out techniques to deal with those things better. And uh, and and so if if that technique is when somebody says something like that, you just mute them or block them. If that's what you got to do, that's what you got to do. You know, um, if it stresses you out big time, if what you've got to do is say, hey, uh, if you can look at it and, and decide that you don't internalize that and take that personally, but instead choose to somehow try to engage that person positively by saying, hey, it sounds like you're frustrated by something. Could you explain to me more about what you mean? That's a that's a possibility, too. Um, you know, there's an idea in, in, in this, there's a book called nonviolent communication, uh, that I've, uh, read and it's a really good book. And one of the things it talks about is viewing this kind of hostility or these kinds, this kind of like aggressive language or things like that, viewing that as an opportunity to help somebody or an opportunity to, 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 uh, explore something and make a change. And, uh, it's really great when you can get to that point because what you're doing is you're making a conscious decision to not to sort of set aside that that part of you that gets upset and feels uh, essentially takes it personally and is offended by it and step aside and, and say, well, this is an opportunity to engage. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. But. The, the people who, you know, we're not automatons. And if we live our lives um, so that we are completely at the mercy of what other people say to us, and if they say certain things to us, we immediately have these kinds of 
say, poor reactions and, you know, that are ultimately not helpful to us or to other people uh, and make us unhappy, then that's, you know, that's not a great existence. And, 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 and we have to take responsibility for how we choose to react to things. And, um, I, uh, so I think really strongly that, you know, there's two, there's two sides to that. We have to take responsibility for as, as a speaker, how, how, I am interpreted and I have to take some responsibility for that and make a, a good effort to avoid misinterpretation. And I think that's in the best interest. If I, if I care at all about being understood, I have to do that. And I also have to take responsibility for, um, how I choose to react to things. And it is not the case that I am, in, you know, incapable uh, and that I just have to, you know, I'm I, I'm not in control of the reactions that I have. I, I am. And I've been on both sides of those things and I've said really shitty things. And I have and I still have lots of problems with, you know, uh, how I react to stuff. And but I, I know ultimately that that's something that if I don't take control for it and control over it, then I'm I'm going to be a very unhappy person. And I just need to take responsibility with that. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how I, how I take that stuff. And there's one aspect of it that I think is kind of important. Sometimes it, this is something that where I, how I view it is that sometimes I, uh, I'm not a religious person and I'm not a spiritual person. I don't believe in supernatural things. Right. Um, I don't. So that is, that's who I am. That's where I come from. I was also raised Catholic and something though, that I, I still, I guess, take from that is I take this idea of, um, sort of behaving in a Christ-like manner. And so remove any of the supernatural elements from it. There are some people who feel that, and I, I'm probably one of them that the uh, belief in in the supernatural things is not necessarily a uh, you know you don't necessarily need that to get the lesson and of the of the morality and the the approach of philosophy of of life that was there in in the teachings of Christ and you know there's this idea of grace in Christianity and I th I'm sure in other religions too this and this idea that grace is this thing that you give that you get that you are loved by God and you are uh taken and protected by God and and loved by God despite the fact that which is maybe kind of an effed up aspect of Christianity despite the fact that you don't really deserve it despite the fact that you screw up all the time, despite the fact that you're a flawed individual and you're a flawed being a human being is ultimately you're a flawed person. Without getting into the philosophical debates of that, um, I do like the idea of grace as something where, despite the fact that somebody has in some ways wronged you, you make a choice to still treat them with respect and um, with love and compassion, even when they've done something to you that really doesn't deserve it. 
and that actually ends up making things easier and better for you and for that person as well. That oftentimes what you find is that when you have that, when you respond with that instead of the easy thing to do, the defensiveness, the 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 matching aggression with aggression, um, that you that also provides you with an opportunity to completely change how to change their thinking as well that that opens up that opportunity because you know that and i've often found that i found that you know when you react you know with compassion against aggression that people rethink their approach a little bit and that that's an opportunity and it's only afforded you're only afforded that opportunity if you choose to behave to to respond with grace and so I think there's something to that. I really wish and I hope that more people adopt that kind of thing. I think that in our community uh, of people who do stuff with the PHP language, um, uh, I think that there are great groups of people who do a good job of that. And then there's some who don't. And it, that's the nature of human beings. <laughs> and uh, but. But I think we could all benefit from from working a little bit harder at, at that about watching about thinking about how we say things and then thinking about how we respond to things. And I, w I would hope that we all kind of try to do that. So, yeah. <laughs> you always you know when you do these long talks you always end it the same way with that so yeah that's uh i don't it's, it's yeah, i know ed, i don't have it's, it's else the ed, it's the ed finkler uh uh diatribe closer it's the it's the closing tag so yeah so um, yeah yeah uh <laughs> now, now i'm gonna find myself saying that it's it's only natural yeah so people need to be also clear here that like ed and i are not intending and trying to pick on people because um, it could very easily be interpreted that way. I think our point is when you get to a certain level of uh, um, attention within your own particular community, you really have to start thinking about how you are, as Ed put it, communicating with people, how you are stating your opinions and how are you responding to other people's opinions. Uh, uh, I get it that it's very, very hard that when you've been very successful and you've been behaving a specific way, it's very hard to change that behavior, especially if you're worried that you will no longer um, that you're, you're worried that you will no longer be successful um, if you don't act that way anymore. I did struggle with this a little bit when I decided to let the grumpy programmer account be more more me, Chris the person, and less of the grumpy programmer um, caricature. I worried about is it is it brand dilution am i going to kill off the things that i've been trying to do and the answer has been no it's been it's been better if anything it's if, if anything things have gone better since i decided to stop being an asshole so much on, on twitter and be more supportive and make it clear because it slips through every once in a while make it clear when i'm talking with someone that i'm joking that it's clearly a joke when i act all offended or 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 you know aggrieved or or try to be uh, 
pretend to be serious when when it when the response is supposed to be funny but mm. pretend to be dumb when i actually understand what's going on i'm 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 trying to be more clear because i a few times i've said something and someone's like whoa that's really harsh i'm like dude we're like friends for the people on the server were friends with a very long time we are we are joking around and rather than me saying rather than me saying stuff like oh sorry if if you didn't get it i just say say i'm sorry that i'm sorry that i projected it that way that it's like yes mm-hmm. these, are, these are some friends and we're fooling around and this is all it's we're not serious about anything that we're saying here so uh so yeah, yeah think uh, anytime you talk to people you have you do actually have to think about what you're saying so you know and you know there's there's one other thing that occurred to me that i, I had this sure. it was a short little thing i'll say is when i one time you know, when I was working on Spaz, I, I there was like this, you know, group of people who were participated and who were users of it and were sort of more active. And I interacted with them on like a mailing list and stuff like that. And I remember there was some review in like some magazine, like PC World or something like that. There was a review of it. And it was kind of a I was excited about it uh, because this guy was interested in it and he gave it kind of a crappy review. And I was mad. I was really hurt by it. And I like wrote, I like wrote the guy's editor and I like CC'd the mailing list on it and was like, Hey guys, let's look at how shitty this is. And immediately people, it was, it was crazy to see how people would like back me up on it when this was, when I, I quickly realized that this was really, really bad behavior on my part, it was, you know, I was just embarrassed is what happened. And the way that I reacted to it was not, hey, okay, that's fair. Um, thanks, you know, for checking it out. It, I was basically being, uh, I had a, a really, really poor emotional reaction. I let that guide me to do some you know, really shitty stuff. And I ended up apologizing, you know, to the guy, wrote an apology to him and to his editor and said, you know what, what the way I behaved was not was not acceptable. And I, I, I need to, you know, and I'm sorry for that. I over I absolutely overreacted and I take full responsibility for that. And I told I told other people, I told the people on the list that too, you know, I, I said that because I was like, what I did was not okay. And, it, and you know, and, and at the same time, they also said, man, that's just so awesome how you d- apologize for that. You're just such a great person and things like that. And I was like, <laughs> I'm, I, and, and part of me was like, okay, well, th- that's, that's cool. I, I hope that, but the thing is, is that they were like behind me no matter what I did. And when I did something super shitty and, and, uh, crappy, they kind of were like rah rah with it, and when I was apologetic and and remorseful, they were uh, they kind of rah rahed me then too. And so you can get into yourself into a position when you when you do have some some fans, you know what I mean. It, it, you can get yourself in a position where people just want to, you know. I I think sometimes people people listen to you and know, and what you do sort of they they just think is great and they'll support you no matter what and um you know what really somebody should have said dude what you know i like your product i think you're a cool person that's fine but what you're doing is really shitty this isn't how you should be reacting to it <laughs> you know and but it was interesting to see 
how easily sometimes people will just go along with it. And, you know, no matter what you do, you, whatever you did was the right thing to do. And well, in this case, there was clearly a right thing that I did and a very wrong thing that I did. But they both <laughs> they both got positive reactions. Um, and it's like, yeah, stick yeah. it to him. Yeah. And then everyone's oh, Ed, it's so awesome that you apologized. Yeah. Basically, I'd be, yes. I would be looking at that and going, I have become a monster. It's like yep. it's it, it, it's the equivalent of the famous uh Statement by the current U.S. president where I could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and still get elected president. Um, so um, or maybe I'm paraphrasing that statement. But uh, but yes, it's it, it having people. It's the idea if you surround yourself by yes with yes, with people who only say yes to everything that you do, you're going to quickly find yourself in a really bad place. Yeah. Very yeah. Quickly. And you kind of you kind of it, it sure feel it feels nice. To, to not have it, I'm sure it feels really nice to not have anyone tell you you can't do the thing that you uh, can't do the things that you want to do. But it, I, I would think that it, it actually is in the end is very, very super um, destructive. Yeah, no, I think it, I think it was, and that was. I mean, I look back at that. I'm, uh, that was a, a pretty embarrassing moment for me, and something that I had to I had to learn from that, and I had to learn that I have to take personal responsibility for you know, what I choose to do and, uh, and that I can't just gauge it. I can't just gauge sort of whether what I did was okay or not. Okay. Based on what other folks said, you know, and I, I, I had to, I had to judge that for myself. And so, so that, so that's just, a, it's just a thing to remember if you, if you do find yourself, you know, Hey, you create something and some people kind of get to be fans of it and stuff like that. Is that, uh, it can be you can get people to kind of go along with no matter what you do. And then, of course, the other side of it is you can also get people who just shit on you constantly. And that sucks. And that that is a that is that is a one thing I think we have to remember, too, is, uh, you know, it's hard and it's hard for a lot of people. You know, there's a lot of BS you have to deal with if you're, you know, if you create some relatively successful product or you know, framework or things like that. There's a lot of there's a lot of people who 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 get pretty dismissive and shitty about it. And it's, it's easy to talk about it. Uh, it's easy to kind of throw off opinions about things without not without thinking about it. And and so have you know? It doesn't. We don't make excuses, but we should have some compassion and grace for that too, um, and for for people's reactions to those things as well. So. Anyway, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, so enough about how Ed and I have uh, got ourselves on the uh, super highway to sainthood by becoming better people. Let's, That's true. Uh, That's true. Let's talk about uh, the second of three topics, and I'm just kind of reversing them based on what we have in our little pad here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ed Ed tweeted, uh, maybe it was yesterday or the day before, about asking some questions about should he get into Swift development. So yep. for those who, who aren't familiar, Swift is um, uh, an open source uh, programming language that came out of Apple. And uh, and I'm sure people will correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm likely very wrong on this topic. But it was the idea of we're, tr- we're trying to find a way to make um, iOS development easier, perhaps provide um, a language with some different abstractions to it from what uh, people have been using to build iOS apps before. Um, and so, uh, 
you know, I know I know Rob Allen, Acrobat on Twitter, had done some Swift stuff in the past and talked about it. They even gave a talk or two about Swift stuff. But uh, Ed, like, what made you decide you wanted to think about uh, uh, getting into the uh, the iOS development game? Well, I've done some stuff with it bef- with with like I guess you'd say native app development before. Like, I mean, many years ago, I did a couple OS X applications or OS ten, whatever you want to call that piece of garbage. Um, and uh, there was a lot that I kind of enjoyed about it, and uh, and there's parts of me, maybe some of it is is me just thinking a little bit about what are other areas that maybe I'd want to explore uh, in terms of being able to be a good consultant uh, and make some extra money, uh, especially as an independent developer. Uh, you know, maybe that's an opportunity for me to work on some stuff. But I mean, shoot, I've thought about a few different things. I've thought about I thought about iOS development because I think that might be something that would be fun and it would be kind of interesting. I've thought about, I'll be very honest, I've thought about doing, just going and like working on WordPress stuff because I think there's actually a lot of really cool stuff that WordPress has done, particularly with like custom post types and, and, and things like that, that looks like that's gotten a lot better and makes it a much more capable and flexible tool. It means it's not just like, oh, it's a great blogging tool, and if you don't need a blog, WordPress sucks for it. No, actually, it's pretty pretty darn flexible, and, and it has some really, really good stuff that you can do a ton of stuff without coding anything on it. Um, I, uh, you know, and WordPress has a really, really awesome community, which helps a lot. Um, you know, uh, and a lot of people have done, uh, you know, sort of solopreneur or whatever you want to call that, you know, independent development stuff in, in there. So I've been thinking about a few different things and, um, but I think it's always been that, you know, I did, I did do phone development on, on, you know, web OS for quite a while and, you know, that was, uh, only, you know, it was HTML and JavaScript, but it, you, if you wanted to do it sort of like the quote unquote right way, you did it within their frameworks, which were very much not like, Hey, I'm making some HTML pages and then wrapping a little bit of jQuery around it. That's not how it worked. Right. Um, and so if you sort of bought into the full stack, it was very, it was a lot like, you know, working on other kinds of application development. Um, I just feel like, and I feel like iOS is a good opportunity because it's, uh, a relatively, it's a relatively stable, uh, target, you know, more so than say Android is. And, uh, there's good tools for it. It seems like so that makes a big difference, I think. Um, yeah, so I could see myself if I, you know, found myself with enough time and spent some time on it. There's some really good uh, uh, tutorials and a couple of people recommended um, this guy, uh, Ray Wenderlich, Lish, Ray Wenderlich. Let's see how you pronounce it. Ray Ray Harryhausen, I think I called him originally. Yeah, when um, we were talking in the pre the pre show, yeah. Yeah. Uh, with his with his app with his app Jason Jason and the Argonauts. Jason and the Argonauts, yes, exactly. Jason and the Argonauts. Um I uh anyway, there's a bunch of good stuff in there, it looks like, uh, to learn doing Swift. And I was excited because honestly, I wanted to work on like Mac app development or iOS Mac or iOS app development 
for a while, but I just did not like Objective-C as a language. And Swift is, uh, I've played with a little bit, uh, like a tiny bit, like I've written a few, a couple scripts in it, like in the playground or whatever. And it's much more like a relatively modern language like Go or, or Python or JavaScript or something like that. It's, it, it, it feels much more like a, uh, a, it, it just has, a, it has much less of a, hey, it's C, and then we strapped on a bunch of other crap to it with really weird syntax and lots of curly braces or square brackets or whatever the hell it does. Um, and you don't, you know, you don't worry about memory management and junk like that and stuff. So it, it seems like a good thing. Um, and I guess some people have, they've, they've started doing some, some web stack, like backend development with Swift. I, uh, it does run on Linux. I have not done anything with that, so I can't really judge that, but, uh, it, 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 I, you know, it's probably, you know, no worse than lots of other things for that. Um, I, it probably wouldn't be my first choice for doing web development, uh, just because I think there's probably, there's lots of other competition for that. And I don't know that Swift necessarily is like, well, this is, you know, wildly more wildly advantageous, uh, for doing it, doing that, but you absolutely can. Uh, and, and there's a, some, there's some Swift community folks doing that. So, uh yeah yeah i don't know it looks looks cool and i uh you know i it's looks like it would be kind of fun so i might do that but i also don't know uh if i'll have time the thing it always runs into is i don't know if i have time to actually work on it so that that's the that's the hard part is yeah it's it's finding the time to, to 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 figure that in so so we'll see but i think it's interesting and i think it's something that you could get into again uh, that a lot of people recommended if you've done especially if you've done development before the ray uh uh wonder lick i guess that's how you say it um we'll put the notes in there so uh, you check out his tutorials and uh looks like he's uh done a good job of uh branding himself as uh, the place to go for tutorials like that so yeah cool beans yeah swift uh you know mobile development that's something um i looked at it and thought eh, it looks kind of interesting would be nice to know some of that stuff but then again I, I would probably never uh if i were to get involved in a mobile app in my case i would probably be more along the lines of helping des to design the back-end service that the app uh, talks to that's more that's more in my wheelhouse where I have a lot more experience and access to a lot more resources that can go into, hey, how do I create a rock-solid service for a mobile app to talk right. to? Yeah, I really oh, I like making stuff that people use. And I've always found that if I stick only to back-end stuff, you know, that's that's usually for for like computers to talk to not people um i mean not so much exactly but i always find myself the parts that i really are are like where does the where's the user interact with the machine and that that's the stuff that i get really excited about 
So yeah, so definitely, Ed, make sure that you keep uh, keep me posted of how, if you get a chance to start doing a little bit of Swift stuff, just uh, let me know what you're working on, and we'll provide some updates for the show. And updates. I would be happy to I would be happy to uh, retweet your efforts as you stumble through figuring out Swift. Stumble. So for I th- sure. yeah. So one more, the last topic for tonight, unless something else comes up, is a segment that I suggested to Ed that we should start doing this all the time because um, Ed and I are constantly buying ourselves little toys and. And mm-hmm. doing new things. So this is a section of what toys did I buy? So recently, the two things I wanted to talk about this time out is first thing is uh, um, via uh, an Indiegogo campaign, um, I purchased a really interesting um, Bluetooth uh, mechanical keyboard called the Low Free. Right. And uh, I think it's still only available via Indiegogo. I don't think they have like a separate thing up yet for you to buy them. So I, I hadn't owned a mechanical keyboard, um, uh, I guess, in a super long time. I guess it I guess it depends on whether you define the old VIC-20 keyboard as being mechanical or if you define even the old Apple II computers, Apple II GS and, and stuff, if that's considered a mechanical keyboard, maybe I would consider them yes, mechanical I would keyboards. Them okay, mechanical. so so then it would, I would say that's probably a good 20 years since I had used anything with a mechanical keyboard. Right. Uh, and, and I was intrigued by this because I got some good reviews. I saw a YouTube video about it. I'm just showing Ed, because I was just showing Ed before. It's cool. It's kind of backlit. It's actually quite hefty. Um, and again, we'll provide. I'll provide uh, links um, uh, in the show notes. Um, and it was Bluetooth, and I kind of like. I like the Bluetooth keyboards. And this one is supposed to hold a charge for a super long time because you can mute the uh, you can mute the the light because it's backlit. It's very very cool, and it, it has a mode where it can be run. For, it, it will work with uh, not just Mac but iOS devices as well. So if you have like an iPad Pro or a bigger one, you can use this as the keyboard for it, which would be kind of cool. It also allows you to switch to use it for Windows and Android, where the function keys behave a little bit differently. And it has Bluetooth. You can also connect it via micro USB. Um, it has a battery in it to charge, and you can just actually treat it as a USB keyboard if you want to plug it in. Right. Um, so for me, it's been kind of interesting. A very kind of satisfying chuk 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 like a typewriter. Um, when I'm busy typing, I'll just type in people can hear it. They can hear it all, um, and it, it sounds like it's like that video with the diddly 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 ding. You know that typewriter thing because I used a typewriter a ton um, when I was younger. So it uh, as I backspace here, it does kind of remind me of that typewriter feel. So that's the first thing. The second thing that uh, um, that I wanted to talk about that that I've decided or committed to getting was um, when 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 I moved to the next house. One of the things I wanted to do was uh, uh, wire the house up with some actual um, Cat6 network cable and get somebody in there to, to run cable. Because a, a couple months ago, I found a really cool blog post from uh, Troy Hunt, who's an Australian uh, developer who does um, a lot of stuff with, um, with Microsoft. And he did a big blog post about how he helped his brother um, rewire the house he was moving into um, using uh, Ubiquiti's high-end networking equipment. And Mm -hmm. so the idea was, you know, you get all these cable runs done, and in every room you put in a little little, um, access point that's backed with uh, Ethernet. So uh, Ubiquiti sells these cool um, in-wall access points, and they're um, AC for the network. So pretty fast, Mm -hmm. and... 
Uh, so basically the way he talked about how they set it all up and then he bought a nice 24, uh, 24 port um, gigabit switch and then a couple other add-ons that Ubiquity sells that's like a nice, uh, nice easily configurable firewall and, um, and then a little management device that lets you do a bunch of cool things where you can shape traffic on your network. Um, so, uh, so you wire everything up. You get, you know, you get somebody to pull all the cables. You have everything go to one central point. Then you put all this equipment in a rack. You put your cable modem or however you're getting your stuff in. You put the little firewall key in, the management key. Wire all the cables into your uh, into the ubiquity switch. Then you turn everything on. You run the management app. It finds all the devices that are plugged into the network. Um, powers them all up. Then you can configure them all. You can label them all. And a really neat feature that it lets you do is if you have um, floor plans available of the of your house or whatever, you can uh, I guess you can scan them in or import them as PDF into the Ubiquity Management app. And you can say I have access points here, 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 and here. You point them on your floor plan, and then it can show you a heat map of where. Um, of the range of your signal. Where's the signal strong? Where are things being blocked? And you can even find, do things like traffic management and find out uh, which nodes have the most traffic going through them and things mm-hmm. like that. And so, you know, it, it lets you do some kind of cool traffic management stuff. You can kind of see, you know, what is really going on with my network? What, what uh, it logs all the sites and stuff. What sites are people on the network going to and things like that. And so uh, the reason I wanted to do this was... Um, I wanted to try to try to sort of like um, future-proof my home a little bit because for for two reasons, uh, you know, more and more communities are getting much higher internet, uh, you know, m- much faster broadband access. Um, the town I'm moving to, the local ISP is actually a co-op, so by signing up with them, I'm now a part. You know, I have one share in in the co-op, and they're busy wiring one. They're busy wiring one of the new subdivisions that's getting built in that town. That's at the other end of town. They're installing fiber, so all the new houses over there will be able to get like gigabit um, uh, internet at home if they want it. So uh, I'm I'm kind of hopeful that over time they'll start expanding the network in the area because now where I am right now I get 60 down and 15 up, mm-hmm. um, but where I, but where I'm moving to I'm going to be getting 50 down and five up. So a little bit slower, but still Son 50 megabits, bitch. 50 megabits down is still pretty good, and five megabits up is still pretty good. Should be rock solid for like the type of video um, conferencing I, I need to do um, for for work. But I just wanted to kind of like future-proof the home a little bit. There's more and more devices are going to be, uh, you know, wireless devices are going to be entering our homes whether we want them or not. I want to install some of these smart um, light bulbs. IKEA actually makes a really surprisingly good uh, line of uh, Wi-Fi-enabled lights that that use um, Zigbee, which is the, you know, a st- uh, networking standard. Um, and, you know, there are some automation solutions that hook right into using them. So can start getting into some home automation stuff with the Alexa uh, that I bought from one of Ed's friends when I went down and, and visited him. Um, just hook that thing up and, you know, start programming things like Alexa, it's time to go to bed and it'll dim lights for us. Or, you know, I can tell my kid who's hibernating in her room, uh, flash the lights off and on in her room a couple of times because it's dinner time. So she can, you know, uh, get the message to, you know, put the damn phone down and come and have some food. So yeah. I'm, planning on trying to do, I'm planning on trying to do some more home, home automation stuff. So the number of devices that will be in my house that require uh, Wi-Fi access is only going to go up. So rather than, you know, um, totally overload 
you know, a kind of consumer grade uh, uh, router. And, you know, there are a lot of really good ones. But I think most people's routers are going to keel over when you have 20 to 30 devices in your home that need some type of access to to your network. So, you know, access points in every room. I think so my setup is like seven of these access points, the gigabit um, switch, um, the little security uh, key that's the firewall, and then the little management uh, little management unit um, is what I'm going to need. So it, I'll put in the notes the link that to to uh, Mr. Hunt's website where he described all that stuff. So I've spoke. There's a reseller for the stuff that's in Canada. I've already spoken to them and got them a quote. Doesn't seem too expensive. I mean, of course, expensive being a relative term. In this case, luckily for me, because thanks to Grumpy Learning, this is actually a business-related expense, getting the house wired up. So, um, you know, it'll be a nice little tax write-off. But, yeah, I'm just like, I'm hoping to kind of future-proof things so that as I get faster, uh, you know, broadband and other things coming into the house... I won't necessarily have to upgrade anything on the inside. Those access points, I was looking up that Cat6 cable along with these things can support like 10 to 15 gigabits um, on my network. And I would be shocked if if in any time in the next 10 years, if there's some huge leap forward, because uh, I feel like we're kind of getting, I don't know if there's like a Moore's Law for networking stuff, but it feels like we're starting to push the limitations of what can affordably be done Um because you know to transmit stuff around, you need fiber going to the house, and there's just there's just not enough fiber out there. And WiMAX, I don't I don't know if there's any networking uh, you know uh, wireless solutions that push traffic out that's more than a, a gigabit worth of of bandwidth. I don't know, maybe stuff is coming, but I'm I'm feeling pretty secure in that wire connections to my house. It'll be a long time before this this networking infrastructure that I'm getting put in my house will be obsolete and be too slow that I will regret installing it. What about lasers? Yeah, I know it's Canada. I think it's confused by the snow. Oh, mm-hmm. well, okay. Um, well, that's all real good. I bought myself a new monitor. What, uh, what type of monitor did you get? Oh, okay. Uh, it's a Dell 24-inch. Uh, it's a 4K monitor, and I got it a 4K monitor because I really like it when I can change the resolution and you know not run it at a, a say a, a not run it at native resolution and it still looks crisp. So uh, and because I'm running it on a Mac, it handles those kind of high-resolution monitors really well. And uh, so I've been very pleased with it. I have it set up because I have a desk now at the co-working studio. I have a reserve desk, so I have it set up there. And uh, and then I also got just a small uh, stand that is good for if you're not traveling but want to have a permanent stand, uh, and that's in the notes too. Uh, I can't remember the company that makes it, but uh, it was good. It was only like $35, and... The monitor was was not uh, super expensive, but I think it was three fifty, maybe something like that. So it's also not super cheap, but a very nice monitor, and it was the one that Wirecutter recommended. So uh, it seemed like a good deal, and I've been happy with it. So yeah, so far so good. Uh, it works well. I've got a USB C to Display Port cable, so I just run it right out of one of the USB C. Uh, uh, ports and it uh, works great so uh, I've been real happy with that and that's that's been good for doing work at the uh, at the studio 
uh, getting stuff done. So those are the things that I bought lately. I also bought this uh, new Super Deluxe Collector's Edition of the Joshua Tree album uh, that you two put out. And it is seven, seven vinyl records um, and uh, is very expensive, ridiculously expensive. But uh, kind of a collector's item, uh, so I spent too much money on that, but that was cool. So I have that and listen to that on my record player, our record oh, player. That rem- oh, that that reminds me. Uh, mm. um, a couple weeks ago, the 16-volt album showed up at my house. Oh, the vinyl? On vinyl, oh, yeah. Nice. Like two years after I contributed to the... <laughs> yeah. Uh, to the campaign for it, so that was uh, that was very cool. You made your whole family listen to it over and over. No, no, I don't. I don't make them. Uh, I very, very rarely um, play music uh, um, and show music to, to my family. I, I will listen to stuff on my phone, and I'll be rude and not put in my earbuds because I'm the patriarch and I don't care. So, um, but I will usually listen with um, with earbuds on. Uh, oh, you know. but I, I but I played it on vinyl, and you know it's uh, 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 the first. It's, it's interesting. The first couple of songs I listened to when I when I got the MP3s for it, right. I was kind of like, eh, it's okay. But once I listened to the entire album, I'm like, this actually is pretty good. I kind of dug it. So right, um, you gotta put a link uh, in there for that. Uh, yes, I will mm. definitely put that in there. I'm sure if they ever come around to Toronto, it'll be cheap to see them. They usually play pretty cheap shows, so. Should go, uh, go. Yeah, I would definitely, I would definitely want to 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 go check them out in concert to see what they were like. Cause it's cool, cause like you know, it's a limited edition thing, and and Mm -hmm. uh, the record, the the uh, the the slip cover for it, it doesn't have artwork on it or anything. It's just Mm -hmm. the record with a nice little cover on it, and he signed it. It's no, just just signed his name and put sixteen volt on it. So it was kind of cool. That is cool. You're part of the team now. I am part of the team now. Uh, it's interesting. I don't mind supporting stuff like that. Like uh, these days, in terms of like my music purchases, um, I either stream stuff, and I recently switched over from Apple Music to Spotify. I bought a Spotify um, premium oh, family plan, gosh. so now I'm so now I'm listening to stuff on Spotify. It's I, I've been playing with it the past couple of days. It's really no different from from Apple Music, but I'm just gonna go all streaming. And then my youngest daughter. Was uses Spotify all the time, and my oldest daughter Lauren has been using it for years. So now she doesn't have to pay for it anymore. It just switches over to, mm-hmm. to using the family account. So in that case, a bunch of people were using it already. So it just it just uh, uh, kind of made sense. So I thought ah, I'll just switch to Spotify. It's no big deal. I wanted to list, I wanted some streaming music, and if I do want to purchase music, um, I I play the hipster card and I buy it on uh, I buy it on vinyl. Good call. Good call. I, uh, yeah, I still am on Apple Music because to me it's the closest thing to RDO, which was always the best service. And I'm very sad it doesn't exist anymore. So there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if, um, honestly, I don't know if there's that much difference between these services anymore. I mean, Apple Music, I, you know, I had it for like a year and I was happy with it, but it was just like, you know, um, my kids were using Spotify, and I and I told some people how I kind of use Apple Music. I use it a lot to discover new stuff to listen to, and people were like, "Yeah, Spotify seems to make it easier to find new things than um, uh, than Apple Music mm. did." Mm-hmm. So, so I've been using the discovery mode and been listening to some cool music and uh, um, discovering a lot of. Uh, I'm into kind of hard rock stuff and. 
And so I've been discovering some cool Canadian bands that I didn't know about. So it's kind of nice to throw a, you know, a billionth of a penny their way by streaming one of their songs on my phone. Got to listen to that. Uh, get those new Cataclysm albums. Yeah, Cataclysm? What are they, metal band? Death metal? Yeah, from Montreal. Hmm. Have to check Actually, they've been around a long time. But uh, yeah, you should check them out. They're awesome. You'll probably hate it. I don't know. I kind of. Well, are you familiar with Mastodon stuff at all? Yes, they do not sound like Mastodon. Okay, well then, then I will probably hate it. Yeah, you'll probably hate it. (laughs) No, I remember trying to make you listen to some stuff, and I was like, maybe you'll like this, and you were like, this is garbage. Uh, No, I don't believe those are the actual words I use. I probably just said no. I don't like this because you know me. I don't. I don't use inflammatory statements like that. No, never, never, (laughs) never, never, not at all. All right. Well, that uh, was good times, I think. Yes. Yeah, so, and so, what toys did we buy? And there'll be links to that. So, uh, so finally, Ed, I know mm-hmm. I I am just about done with uh, conferencing for the year. I have two more things coming up. I am going to be a coach at a coding retreat uh, on an island uh, in the Netherlands the last yep. week of August called We Camp. I believe tickets are all sold out for it. Um, but, uh, I, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm, uh, I was very surprised that they asked me to, to come in and coach. And, um, uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. And then I'm going to be appearing at, uh, Symphony Live Berlin in the, uh, at the last week of October. Uh, I will be giving, uh, my usual four to six hour testing workshop and probably another talk when I'm there. All the details of what I'm going to be doing for them haven't been finalized. But the one in Berlin, it's actually mostly German language, but 20% of the talks are going to be in English. And since I can speak some German, but I don't think I could do a technical talk in German, that's a little bit beyond my linguistic skill. So, But my workshop will be in English, and I'm looking forward to um, going back to Germany, um, I have some uh, online friends who uh, live in Frankfurt, so I'm I'm going to get them. I'm going to get the conference to send me to Frankfurt uh, first and hang out with Andreas Heigl and uh, uh, the very rude Okramius Marco Pavetta, um, and you know see a little bit of Frankfurt and have the real life Rudesheimer Cafe, which is this fancy German coffee drink I like to make at home involving uh, flambéing a German brandy and black coffee and dollops of whipped cream on it and then take the high speed train I think uh, to road trip it the three and a half to four hours from Frankfurt to uh, Berlin and do my talks and hang out with my friends in Berlin and then fly back home so and that will probably be that thing the last week of October there at something left that will probably be the last the last PHP or last conference thing I will be doing until uh, Grumpy Grumpy Conf lurches to life uh during my birthday weekend in 2018. Birthday weekend. Um, yes. Well, let's see. In a couple weeks, I'm supposed to go to D.C. for Ward Camp D.C. And then I'm going to Pye, Ohio in late July. And then, uh, I don't know, some other stuff going on, I guess. Uh, I'm going to speak down in Indianapolis, I think, uh, July 5th. Um, I can't keep track of it anymore. There's too much stuff going on. Uh, yeah, I might be at Pacific Northwest PHP. We'll see what happens. Um, I can't think of anything else right off the top of my head. I think there was some Elixir conference I got invited to, but I'm not sure when that is now. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Hopefully I'll, we'll have another podcast before like October or whenever that was supposed to be. 
Well, you know, if we uh, if we get nice and industrious, then uh, I think if we can hold to our two podcasts a month like we were wanting to do, if we can get like two in July, two in August, um, two in September, we can aim to have the uh, awesome party episode number 100 when I wanted to come back to um, – uh, to visit you in person again, and hopefully my car oh, will yeah. blow up this, this yeah, time well. I come down. So hopefully we can time it that I can come and see you for episode number uh, one hundred, or you come up here, whichever one uh, um, piques your interest. You can maybe combine uh, a visit with me, a visit to see me um, with doing some Osme work somewhere in Ontario. I know I want to talk to. I'm trying to find out who the correct person at Mozilla is uh, to talk to to get you to come in. Um, and maybe get you to give a talk at uh, at the Mountain View offices. Um, that would be delightful. I'm I'm trying to do that. I have to I have to hit up the correct person that I know. I was going to ask. It's going to be Laura Thompson. I was going to ask her, but and also about some other stuff because I've been wanting to find out potentially. And I know people are going to snicker at this. What the path is for developers who've decided that maybe they actually do want to be in charge of a few people. Hey. <laughs> Uh, find out what the paths are within Mozilla. What do I need to do if I wanted um, wanted to do that? Maybe quit screaming the, at people, what, Chris. What are the? Yeah, I'd have to quit screaming at people in my training <laughs> sessions. That would probably be number one. Yes, I want to find out um, uh, what paths are open and what options are open, and decide if that's what I want to do. Because maybe that will be what I want to do. Yeah, fair enough, but, man. Uh, but we'll see. But like I said. Definitely, we need to be together in person for episode 100, and and one way or the other, we'll figure out how to make it happen. Hell yeah, dog. And hopefully my car just doesn't go like it did last time. So yeah, those, <laughs> get some of, that, some of that classic Indiana car work. <sighs> that is still not 100% resolved, despite me doing the chargeback. I charged back, and the company refund, and the credit card company refunded me, and then the mechanic said, "said What's up, dog? I just did what he told me to." And uh, uh-huh. and then they applied it back again, and now I've sent a bunch of documentation, supporting documentation from my own mechanic, saying, "No, the guy in Indiana did the wrong thing and didn't actually discover the problem." So I have no idea how it's all going to. Um, get resolved. It just I was determined. Like I'm not paying for two goddamn alternators when one of them was wrong in the first place. So fair enough. Um, we'll, we'll see. We will see how that gets resolved. So I think we've reached the end of another super exciting episode of the Development Hell Podcast. Uh, thanks to everyone for supporting us via our Patreon page. If you haven't seen it, go please check it out. Patreon.com/slash/devhell. Uh, throw us a buck if you like what we're doing, and that's an American currency, mm, by the way. Throw us uh, throw us two dollars an episode if you want to. Uh, if you like what we're doing, and you want to be able to have your emails read during the show, nobody nobody takes us up on that. Maybe they're afraid of what we're going to say to them. No, they uh, should be. And finally, and finally, for and finally, if you're interested in sponsoring the podcast via the patreon it only costs you 15 dollars an episode for uh for you to get ed to read whatever message you want him to read for your particular cause yeah no uh, no nazi always, stuff okay guys yeah that's true we we can draw we we will draw the line at, at hate speech because we're we're more than capable of coming up with our own hate speech we don't need help yeah let's, and uh and as always check out ed's effort at osme I always mess this up. It's Osme. It's not a dash. It's Osme Help 
dot org. Yep. Uh, support Ed through his uh, uh, Patreon uh, associated with that. Congrats on the uh, super stressful and super successful fun uh, round of fundraising for this year. Also, please check out my stuff at grumpy-learning.com. If you want to get better at being a programmer that believes in testing your PHP code, I have a ton of resources that can be super, super helpful for you to do this thing. Um, so as always, as always, you can find every single episode of this podcast at devhell.info, where we post uh, notes, we post a snappy title, we find a find a graphic, and we share a bunch of stuff to do with the podcast. You can listen to every single episode also via that website. You can also listen to us on iTunes. If you do listen to us on iTunes, please rate the podcast to let us know that we're continuing to be the best PHP comedy podcast available. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at dev underscore hell. Yes, I actually know what the password is, so it is sometimes me uh, tweeting things as the dev hell account. It's not sometimes. just Ed. You can find me as a grumpy programmer without the U. You can find Ed as Funkatron with the U. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you. Good night, Ed.